and welcome to episode six of the Far Post podcast. My name's Anna and I'm your host today. You may have noticed we're one short this week, no Marissa today, but much like Arsenal women, what we lack in numbers, we're making up for with bounding enthusiasm. And there's no enthusiasm quite like a round of you love to see it. Sam, apart from that segue, what did you love to see this week? What did I love to see this week? Everyone, I mean, coming off the back of last week's uh, FA Cup upset, everyone loves a competition upset. And this week, this past weekend, we saw one of the great upsets in the New South Wales MPLW competition with Manly United winning the championship over favourites Sydney University. It was a cracking game and it's good for football when this sort of thing happens, I think. So we'll get into it a little bit later on the episode, but, I, you know, I, a cup upset, I love to see it. Angela, what was your you love to see it this week? I love to see, like, literally being able to see all the games on Optus Sport this week. That was a really lovely thing to log on and, you know, check which were available for streaming through Optus, and it was all of them this round. Um, yeah, I, I suppose I shouldn't disclose how I've been watching the non-Optus games <laughs> Prior to this, um, but I've also got an Optus subscription because I just sort of want to, you know, put my money where my mouth is and and show that there's desire for streaming the FAWSL in Australia and more of it is awesome. Also, mini matches. When they're on Optus, we've got mini matches and I bloody love mini matches. They're so good. As a busy working mum of melon. It just means that I can fit football in around my lifestyle. Fantastic. You'll love to see all of the games on Optus Sport. Yeah, absolutely do. What I love to see this week was a couple of Aussies picking up their debut goals to their clubs. Um, Chloe Lagazzo for Bristol City in the Conti Cup. Um, she scored against London Bees in their 4-0 win. And as she put it, better than anyone else could, used her noggin. So... <laughs> <I don't- laughs> Chloe Legazzo scoring a goal and uh, being honest about it, you love to see it. The other thing we love to see, Alana Kennedy whipping out a trademark free kick, um, also in the Conti Cup, also a debut goal. We know she loves those long-range free kicks and uh, she did just that. And then it was Sears because she was uh, just played a half. So Alana Kennedy and Chloe Legazzo <laughs> scoring debut goals, you love to see it. And, Do you think uh, the English people know what a noggin is? Do you reckon Lagazzo had people coming up after her asking, what is what is that? Like, you know how they do those sorts of, um, like, games and challenges on social media? Like, they exchange uh, different sorts of, um, like, phrases and colloquialisms from different cultures. Do you reckon noggin is one of them? Angela, did you ever use noggin growing up? I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I, I did. As soon as I was... I was thinking dome. I feel like dome is quite British. I will clonk you on the dome. Uh, Noggin, I'm not so sure. If you're English and you're listening, tell us. Please tell us. And we'll get Marissa to work it into next week's pod. Marissa's like, I'll leave for one week and look what's happened. It's already chaos. Speaking of chaos, there's nothing quite like the FAWSL to deliver some. We may as well get straight onto the biggest talking point of the round heading into the weekend's games. Would Sam Kerr score in a big match? Could she score in a big match? We'd seen her miss some opportunities against Man City earlier in the season in the Shield. And, uh, well, Sam Kerr, she got the job done. Um, she had a couple of chances. She was very active throughout the game. She spurned a couple she should have got. But when Frank Kirby whipped in a delightful ball for her, Kerr came charging through and put Chelsea 2-0 up. 
in a very impressive performance. She was relieved. She was stoked. Her teammates absolutely loved it. And uh, they went on to win 3-1. And before I throw to you guys to actually break this down a bit, I'll uh, thanks to a friend of the pod, Amy Rusky from Goal, for putting us onto this one. Emma Hayes actually kicked off her press conference, the Chelsea coach, by saying, I'm so happy for Sam Kerr today. She put in an unbelievable shift for the team and the pressures are there for her to score. The team are very happy for her. I think those are sentiments she also shared with her interview on BT Sports. So Emma Hay is clearly very invested in Sam Kerr and, yeah, Sam Kerr repaying the faith. Um, both of you guys tuned into this game. Sam, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the Emma Hayes comment I think is interesting considering it was unprompted, uh, which suggests to me that um, she is fully aware of the sort of wider uh, pressure that's on Kerr to be performing um, and she's obviously doing the job of a manager, which is putting herself in the line of fire in some ways um, and showing her publicly that she has faith in us. So that's great. That's a really good sign of trust between a manager and a player, I think, and I think her will really appreciate that. Um, as for the game itself, I mean, I thought, I thought Chelsea were really impressive. Um, this was a Man City side that I think a lot of people were, were – uh, sort of hoping would probably take out the title this season and particularly based on their second half performance, they really just sort of blech. They just sort of fell apart. They just were was really flat. They didn't click. There was just sort of lots of misplaced passes, lots of wrong decisions. Um, and ultimately I think, you know, Chelsea were, they just had too much quality in too many areas of the field and they were able to capitalise on Man City's errors. And when you get to, I think, the top three teams in the FAWSL, maybe even top four, I think these games are won and lost based on who makes the fewest mistakes. And I think this was a good example of that. Yeah, I'm struggling to sort of get a, a sense of, you know, Man City's flavour this season because I feel like we're starting to sort of see how different teams operate. City have sort of pulled out some unexpected results. I think everyone associates them with having a lot of talent and being a, a really like a club with high standards for women's football. But it's been interesting that second half, they really seem to tire. Um, Maybe it was a mental thing being down and just struggling to come back from that. But yeah, Chelsea were very classy. Really enjoyed watching them. The other thing that I really liked was that Chelsea seemed to understand where Manchester Manchester City's dangerous sort of moments and players were. So like Sam Ewers, for example, has been in pretty ripping form over the last couple of games. But every time she was on the ball, Chelsea had two players on her within like a second or two. Same as Lucy Bronze. And I know that Lucy Bronze is, you know, coming back from an injury. She's also returning from a league that is perhaps not as physical or as uh, sort of athletic as this one. Um, So she's probably taking some time to adjust. But, you know, they know the quality of Lucy Bronze. And whenever those players got on the ball, Chelsea were like that. They knew. They knew straight away. And so you saw, like, neither of them were particularly effective. And they got towards the end of the game and Lucy Bronze was, you know, Lucy Bronze. And as you said before we started recording, Harry, she just was like, well, all right, I'm just going to put the team on my back and carry you through and tried to make those great Maisie runs that that she's known for. But, again, she was just like she was marked out of the game and I thought that was really clever by Chelsea. And, um, like, they did it while still allowing their – um, their most dangerous attacking players to shine. So that's, I think, that's a sign of a good team there. I actually thought one moment that really highlighted it and the way that Chelsea handled Lucy Bronze and the top City players is one that I talked about in our little group chat last night was very early in the game, Lucy Bronze sort of 
I guess dallied on the ball, maybe took a loose touch, and Sam Kerr just came through and cleaned her up. Like, oh, ball, fair yeah. tackle. But she absolutely blitzed her. And I think for me that summed up, one, the intent that Chelsea had, but two, um, what Sam Kerr brings to that team um, and the faith they've got in her and why they seem to love have, having her there so much. We talk about her conversion and those sorts of things, but we, we've always known, and it's maybe not something that, those in Europe have seen compared to us that have watched the NWSL and the W League. It's her movement and her work right off the ball and the way she can create um, all over the park. Um, across the front three, for example, that just causes so much trouble. I just thought that moment just set the tone. And you're like, Sam Kerr wants to have a say here. Chelsea aren't going to be on the back foot. They're not going to let Lucy Bronze dictate the game. They're not going to let Man City's prime movers dictate it. And when you're the champions and everyone's coming for you and you've got that approach... That says it just shows the intent that you've got. Sam, we were talking about it um, before this as well. The the Fran Kirby Sam Kerr combination, two players who've probably been shielded or, I guess, pretty publicly protected by Emma Hayes, and they just seem to be combining with aplomb. And that was something I uh, I personally really loved to see from that game. Yeah, totally. Like Kirby, I think was uh, was amazing. She is getting almost better and better each game. And she's like, weirdly, I still feel like she's underrated because this Chelsea side is just star-studded, right? You know, we've been talking about Sam Kerr, we've been talking about Peniel Harder, but the the players who are really standing up in this Mm. Chelsea team are players who've been there for a while. So Fran Kirby and Erin Cuthbert is one of my absolute faves. I just need to do like a little bit of a ramble about her because she, over the last couple of games, has been absolutely amazing. She had the strike that won Chelsea the penalty for their first goal against City. She is just she just has this sort of energy and this aggression and this passion about her playing style mm. that I really love and identify with. She almost reminds me of Ellie Carpenter in a way. Like you just know that she is giving 100% of herself every time she gets out on that field. She's so inspiring and I think that she sort of she she brings the players around her into that energy field in some ways. She's so clever. She's so good on to, on the ball. She's so technical. She's just oh, she's, and she's only twenty two. It's just like it's it's insanity. So yeah, sorry, that's my little Aaron Cuthbert uh, fan rant for the for the evening. Anna, you talked about this a little bit, but City perhaps didn't do themselves any favors. They've got some incredible players and Mewis and also Rose Lavelle who was playing in an interesting position for her. And, it, yeah, I know if you wanted to expand on that a little bit. I know you had some thoughts on onions. Oh, just at 2, 2.30 in the morning, the last thing you need to see is Rose Lavelle moving into the, coming onto the field and moving into the number nine role. To say I was thrown was <laughs> a understatement, <laughs> um, to say the least. It, I think we've talked a bit about this. It's interesting to see how they're using her and um, another Scott or Caroline Ware in, who's a, been a creative midfielder, been really influential. Rose Lavelle, Sam Mewis, it's a World Cup winning midfield. <laughs> I just am surprised that they haven't combined them more, especially when, as you said, Sam, that I guess Mewis wasn't really at her best given the way Chelsea looked to attack her and mark her out of the game and make her accountable. I just found it interesting that when they brought Lavelle on, it was almost as a nine to try and pinch a goal rather than be the player to create one. So um, the other thing that Angela and I noticed was her work rate and her running capacity. There was one, and again, 2.30 in the morning, so I think anything can really shock you, was one pressing effort where she went from inside her defensive half to right up to the goalkeeper just about, and Angela and I were both like, is that Rose Lavelle? (laughs) So fast. Big zoom. Big zoom. (laughs) 
Here we go. This is the uh, this is the football analysis we can bring you. Uh, I'm looking at this. Rose Lavelle did a big zoom, very big, from there to there. <laughs> if you thought us talking about Tony Gustafsson's use of Rose Lavelle was a uh, tactical chat, then uh, big zooms is the other end of that. I reckon that might be a good time to move on from the Man City Chelsea game and onto. Arsenal's 5-0 win over Brighton. Caitlin Ford has just been sensational for this Arsenal team. Once again, featured with a brilliant run and bit of hold-up play and clever assist for Daniela Vanderdonk. And Brighton had their moments, uh, Angela, but Arsenal got it done relatively comfortably despite fair few injuries. Yeah, and I was surprised um, after been paying attention to Miedema this season and after her first goal, she was actually quite smiley. More quality analysis, guys. Previous game, she's scored and sort of been a bit surly, so uh, that was my main observation from the match. But, yeah, uh, Brighton didn't really get a look in there, unfortunately, and I think a lot of people on the tweet line noted you know we we like to see Australians doing good things but we don't like stop being sad. A quick thing I think that's worth mentioning about Brighton is one of the like we've been talking up all the huge player signings who've come over from the NWSL but one who seems to have slipped under the radar quite a bit is Western Sydney Wanderers favourite Denise Mm. O'Sullivan. She she is an absolute superstar. She is, you know, she was voted the sort of back-to-back most valuable player at North Carolina Courage, right, the, the best NWSL side for the past couple of seasons. Um, she was obviously one of the best players for the Wanderers when she was here in the W League last season as well. And I think that her being in that midfield just changes Brighton. Mm. I think that they are so much more structured with her there. She has, I mean, she just has the lung capacity of like a planet. And I know that planets don't have lungs, but if they did, that would be Denise. <laughs> like she's just, she's just amazing. Like she does so much work and she seems to really lift the players around her. And it feels like Brighton this season are the kind of team that needs something like that, something mm-hmm. to sort of gravitate around. So I'm really glad that she's there. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what else they can do because they, like, they haven't been bad. They haven't been playing badly at all. And one of the, I think they have one of the best goalkeepers in the league in Megan Walsh as well. So, mm. yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they what they can do perhaps in other competitions uh, outside the FAWSL because I think they've, they've got some talent there. And just to mention on that game, great to see Lydia Williams, Matilda's goalkeeper, make the bench. You'd think an Arsenal debut not too far away after overcoming that ankle surgery. Steph Catley, of course, still sidelined with that calf, which is something we do not like to see. As we said last week, best wishes to Steph and hope it's a speedy recovery. One other game that we were flicking between Everton's 3-1 win over West Ham. Had a couple of Australians starting, Mackenzie Arnold a goal for West Ham, Emily Van Egmond playing as the six, and we saw Hayley Razzo come off the bench for Everton. Van Egmond at six, we touched on it briefly last week, she didn't have a huge impact on the game last night. Guys, what were our thoughts? Just move her up the field. Matt, I've said it before and I'll say it again. <laughs> Better in attacking mid and that's my piece. <laughs> Sam? Yeah, no, it's a, it's an important question and it's something that I'm addressing in my column proptus this week because we've seen in the absence of Elise Keller-Knight uh, as the number six in the Matildas, we don't really have a lot of depth outside of a – an aging Ivy Lewick and it feels now like there needs to be some decisions made. And we talked last week about Alana Kennedy uh, being in defensive midfield and how we felt about that. I was not a huge fan. 
I'm also not a huge fan of Emily Bennett on being in the same position. I think she's better in, an, in another position, effectively. So it's the same reason. And we saw, you know, the, the, the sheer, the clear difference when Emily Van Egmond was playing as the six at the Women's World Cup last year compared to when she was playing as the number 10 for the Matildas during the Olympic qualifiers. She was a completely different player. And I realised that she was like form and, you know, she just came off the back of a really great season with Melbourne City and whatever. But that is where she plays. That is mm. where she's best. That's where she's most comfortable and it's where she's most confident. And in the game against Everton, what West Ham really needed was a good, incisive number 10 because they just weren't getting any opportunities off in central areas. You know, you had a couple of runs from Rachel Daly sort of in and around the sides, but they were, they sort of, Matt Beard used a, a kind of formation that had Kenza Daly, who's meant to be a centre forward, dropping deep and trying to act as the 10, but she didn't really do anything there. Like she's meant to be the one who's getting on top of those balls, who's, get, who's connecting with the number 10 and trying to finish those chances. And you saw Van Egmont a couple of times just like she was like, fuck it, and she just like went forward <laughs> trying to get onto the end of long balls and she chipped a couple, a couple of passes sort of in and around the box because that's what she's good at. That's what she's a natural mm. at. So I think the the longer Matt Beard waits to, to move her into that role, um, I think the, the longer West Ham might struggle. I don't know. This West Ham side, they're not like – they've got great players that can attack and can score goals like Adriana Leon's first goal against Tottenham this season. She like their scoring capacity in the team. I feel it's just reaching a point that's pretty even contest in a lot of their games. And then they just have a lapse of concentration. That's it. It's a bit frustrating. But one all, it felt like the game was there for West Ham to win. They spurned a couple of chances. And what I think that game needed was someone, Oh, I don't know, Emily Van Egmond to come in and take the game by the scruff of the neck. Like they had all the momentum. I know some people don't believe in momentum in sport, but they did. They were having the better of the attacks. They'd sort of found a bit of stability defensively. I don't know how much Van Egmond actually contributed to that, to be fair as well. But they needed someone who could take the game by the scruff of the neck and just say, this is ours, hit the right pass, go for maybe a goal from midfield or find that right bit of connection. And that's what Emily Van Egmond does best. She's a moments player. She's a clutch player. She dictates games. And she does that best when she's in those attacking roles, as you guys have said. So I just felt like the game, I think at that point, called for Emily Van Egmond to push further forward, to turn that recovery into a genuine winning position. And in the end, we saw West Ham spurn a couple of chances. Everton didn't make the same mistake and have come away with a 3-1 win. Mentioned also Alana Kennedy. Um, she played the Saturday game. Tottenham lost 1-0 to Manchester United. She picked up a bit of an ankle complaint, came off a bit early, um, and once again played in midfield. So Spurs just not quite having that start to the FAWSL season they would like. Yes, yeah, I, I think the thing that Tottenham are struggling with at the moment, obviously, uh, is scoring goals. They And that's primarily, you would assume, the reason they brought in Alex Morgan. But you also have to wonder, Alex Morgan's not fit. You know, how long is it going to take her before she actually gets to a point where she's able to score goals, at which point it may be the end of the year and she could probably be going home. Are they going to extend her contract? Like, how is that going to work? So this is it's one of the sort of frustrating things about watching Tottenham because I feel like they have such good build-up play so often but they just don't the final they just don't have someone to really aim at they don't have the sort of a natural traditional center forward who can put away the kinds of chances that they're wanting to create 
And so because they don't have that, it feels like they can't create the chances in the first place. Like against Manchester United, like you know, I think United are an excellent team. Casey Stoney has really drilled them very well. And the fact that Tottenham sort of stood up to them for as long as they did, I thought was really impressive. But they just they just need to score more goals. If they did that, I think they'd honestly be a, a like a proper good mid to top table team. So no shortage of Australians in action in the FAWSL over the weekend, but it was a busy weekend for them all because uh, plenty of Australians were involved and in good ways in the uh, Conti Cup during the week. Great news, as we mentioned in the You Love to See, it's for Chloe Legazzo who scored her first goal for Bristol as they beat London Bees 4-0. Alana Kennedy scored a free kick as Tottenham beat London City 4-0. And perhaps the most exciting game of the round, um, West Ham drew 2 all with Brighton and then won 4-2 on Pens. And a little bit of excitement for the Matildas fans here. Emily Van Avon kicked things off by converting the first penalty, smacking it into the roof of the net um, to convert the first penalty and set West Ham on their merry way. I think the big things we want to look at from the Conti Cup, Sam, Angela, is the games that maybe give us a bit of an indication of where this season is going to go. Um, The first one we'll take a bit of a look at was Arsenal's clash with Chelsea, which Chelsea went on to win 4-1. Obvious highlight for Australians was that Caitlin Ford scored an absolute banger from long, long range. Unfortunately for Arsenal, that was pretty much the only highlight because they got absolutely thumped. Sam, we were talking earlier about the big games between the big clubs. What do we take out of this result? Because we know Arsenal were down on personnel, but you still don't want to be losing to one of your key title rivals 4-1 in any competition. No, you don't. And I think that the last week's worth of games have shown that Chelsea really are like king shit. Like they're the team that people are coming (laughs) for. They're like they're serious. They're the, they're the real deal, you know. And they're, the fact that they're proving it across multiple competitions, I think, is really impressive. They have the squad depth now to be able to do that, and that's where I think Arsenal are being found out a little bit because we know that Joe Montemurro likes to have smaller squads. He likes to rotate players quite a lot. But this is what happens when you have just a couple of key injuries here and there. Everything seems to fall apart. Your players start to get exhausted. Things don't seem to work very well. And Chelsea really did just completely dominate them in this game. Hey, like the Ford goal was great and it's it was extremely Ford-esque. It was cutting in from the, from a wide angle and like sort of mm. curling it over into the far post. And that was great and it was good for her confidence. Um, but, Ch- yeah, Chelsea were just a different class altogether. And I think it's, it's telling um, – of the, the the sorts of moves that these clubs have been making off the field that we're starting to see these kinds of results now. Um, and the game, as we were talking about before, like Chelsea winning against Man City is another good example of that. Um, you know, I think Chelsea have been smarter in the way that they've recruited. They've obviously spent probably much more money than all the other uh, clubs have, but it's paying off for them. Um, and, you know, they're, they're sort of flying. So I'm curious to see how Arsenal respond to this um, in other ways, in, in the FAWSL in particular, because um, they're the top of the table now after their result on the weekend. Uh, Chelsea are still behind them in that respect. So, yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting how these sort of big four, big three, big four teams um, go about the rest of their respective seasons and competitions and whether they, I mean, it seems like the kind of thing that, where they're going to be taking points off each other and that could be the thing that wins it for them. Wasn't it extraordinary seeing Guru Wrighton, who's been relegated effectively to a bench player this season, score two goals, 
Beth England also come off the bench, score a four. This Chelsea team just has incredible depth. And the thing, the best thing about watching them is they seem to be making it work. Like if you, if those players that aren't starting are still coming on and having an impact, being popular, getting the job done, then you're in a really, really favourable position. Because as we know, the hardest thing if you've got lots of depth, especially got players like Jesse Fleming on the bench, is keeping everyone happy. So I think that could well be a factor as the season goes on too, Sam. How do Chelsea keep all these players happy? Having lots of competitions helps. But everyone wants to be involved in the big games. Everyone wants to, you know, get their chance to step up or start when it counts. So it's going to be very interesting. Angela, what did you take out of it? You're, you know, you've watched Arsenal pretty closely, obviously. Yeah, I found it interesting that so with Arsenal when they've beat teams by a significant amount of goals this season, they seem to be able to sustain pressure and and not rush things, um, and then sort of just, you know it doesn't rain, it pours, and they have a lot of goals suddenly, whereas the opposite sort of happened this week against them with this Chelsea game. So three of those goals from Chelsea and Caitlin Ford's goal were inside 15 minutes, and then there was a big break, and then Beth England scored right at the end there. And so I guess it's maybe developing maybe a mentality thing there in making sure that they can – claw back they I feel like they really haven't been in this position for a while as well on being on the receiving end of a shellacking as my father likes to say you don't really develop that you know beating teams 9-1 um develop that mental resilience I don't think but also just what you guys were saying there I was like so Chelsea have big squad but depth and Arsenal have small squad but depth. Hmm. <laughs> and I think that's sort of, there's obviously pros and cons to that. As you said, Anna, like with a big squad, you've got to manage all that talent. But with a small squad, as soon as anyone's like out with an injury, that's, that creates issues, especially if things aren't clicking or certain players aren't working in their sort of second favourite position. So hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel for Arsenal. But that wasn't the only big game that we can take a bit out of from the Conti Cup. Manchester City, Everton, I think was a game that everyone was sort of really hanging out to see given Everton have been effectively the surprise packet of this season. They've looked like maybe the team that can take it up to the big dogs this season. They did that against Chelsea. But unfortunately for them, Sam, they fell well short against uh, Man City. Talk us through this one. Yeah, so I was really <clears throat> excited. I think a lot of people were really excited for this game because it's a, it was a preview of the FA Cup final. Man City and Everton will be playing against each other at Wembley, which is really exciting. And perhaps we got a bit more of a preview than we bargained for in, in the fact that City were pretty compre- comprehensively beat uh, Everton in this Conti Cup game. I, I thought, it, you know, in, in contrast to the game against Chelsea in the FAWSL, um, this was a game where... The team really did seem to click. Uh, everything seemed to fall into place for them. They had the right players uh, in the right positions. Everybody just sort of seemed to gel a lot better. Um, and one of the things that you do really love to see uh, is Rose Lavelle finally getting uh, off the mark, getting her first goal in classic Rose Lavelle style. Uh, it was from a corner. She sort of got away from her marker, headed towards the front post, and did what I think was like a backwards, like a like a like a back heel volley type deal. So it sort of went. I, I don't know. I didn't like. There was like one camera, so you couldn't really see what was going on. Um, but it was amazing and everyone was so proud of her and, and so pleased for her. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting to see um, how these two teams stacked up against each other, particularly who wasn't there. 
so Hayley Rasso didn't get on the field at all for Everton in this game. And uh, we know that she has a bit of a niggle. But my uh, theory, putting my tinfoil hat on, is that it was a, a deliberate choice by Willie Kirk to keep Rasso on the bench for this game against Man City because we know that she's an absolute weapon and we know that she's been in really good form for Everton the last week or two. So maybe he's trying to save her uh, and make sure that she is a surprise package when they play each other in the FA Cup final uh, the end of October, early November. So, Melbourne uh, Cup yeah. weekend. Yeah, great. Well, we know what, what cup we're going to be watching. Isn't that right? Oh, if we can, let's hope. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Oh, we'll get to that later. Foreshadowing. Marissa goes away for one week and Sam has taken the alfoil out of the drawer and started <laughs> making headgear for everyone. Come join me. It's fun here. Bet you didn't think this would be the first bit of merch you could get from the Varpost pod. <laughs> I think that is a very appropriate uh, moment to end our look at England on. We'll have a quick look at some other Matildas, Australians in Europe. Great to see Laura Brock play the full game as EA Gwingham got their first win of the season. They beat Soyo Charante 3-0. The same league, Mary Fowler started for Montpellier, but they got absolutely hammered 4-0 by Paris Saint-Germain. Meanwhile, Ellie Carpenter played the full game for Leon. They beat Dijon 2-0. And over in the Netherlands, Kai Simon had a ripping game for PSV Eindhoven, who beat Pexville 5-2. She set up the first goal and then scored the second, while Amy Harrison also played close to the full game. Meanwhile in Spain, great to see Alex Chidiak get some minutes for Atletico Madrid. She came off the bench in the 81st minute as they drew one all with Grenadier Tenerife. Ivy Lewitt continues to thrive for Sevilla, though their results weren't so great. They lost 6-0 to Barcelona in the Copa de la Reina semi-finals, and then they lost 2-0 to Athletic Club in their league. She played 90 minutes in both games. All right, from the cream of Europe to the cream of the state leagues, there was no shortage of NPLW action to keep an eye on, and... There's no NPLW action quite like grand final action, and we got a cup set. We got a boil over. Sam Lewis, Manly United defeated Sydney Uni 2-1. Talk us through it. What happened? Yeah, this is that's exactly the kind of thing that you want when you watch a grand final. Sydney Uni came into the final having lost zero games. Uh, they were premiers. They were club. They won the club championship as well, which means that it wasn't just the senior team, but also the reserves and I think another team who uh, took out like the maximum number of points or whatever. So they came in as heavy, heavy favourites. Uh, Manly United, I think, finished uh, third, and they 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 were just smarter, really. I mean, Sydney. The first half, Sydney Uni absolutely dominated. But Manly United were really clever offset pieces. Uh, there was a goal scored by Emily Minnett uh, for Manly off a corner. Uh, and everybody's favourite dub veteran, Tara Andrews, uh, scoring the second for Manly um, off a, like a deflected sort of free kick. Um, Grace Maas scored the, the only goal for Sydney Uni. So everyone expected Uni to come out and respond to going into the half 2-1 down. But they just didn't. Manly were really disciplined. They were really stoic. Um, they were really well organised and they were really smart. They, they protected their lead. Uni basically ran out of ideas. They uh, lost a couple of players to injury um, and, yeah, Manly saw it through. So it was, it was a really impressive, really fun game to watch. Uh, Libby Copas-Brown, who played for the Newcastle Jets last season, won player of the match. She was playing for Manly. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was just great. But it was also it was not the only the only cup set that we saw in the MPO women's competitions around the country. We had another one in South Australia where uh, Metro United defeated the Premier's Adelaide City uh, in the grand final. They won two one, and that was uh, Adelaide City's first loss since round one of the competition, I believe, uh, which is pretty impressive. And then all the way over in Western Australia. We had the uh, third cup set uh, of this weekend, the first season of the MPL uh, in the state, which is great to see. Fremantle City, uh, who finished third, came up against the Northern Redbacks, who finished fourth uh, in the league. They met in the grand final and the Northern Redbacks won on penalties. Uh, So the team that finished fourth won the grand final, won the championship. Uh, So well done to the Northern Redbacks on making history as the first team to to claim the championship in the first women's uh, national Premier League competition in Western Australia. So, yeah, it's a great weekend for a lot of really great teams and a lot of great upsets. Yeah, great to see some fantastic action in the various MPLWs around the country. Unfortunately, as we know, we didn't get one away in Victoria this year. So all the best to those athletes here that didn't get a run and to all those that showed their wares this year. Hopefully for a few of them, it ends up with a spot on a W League list. And speaking of that, we'll just reel through some of the signings that we've seen this week. They just seem to keep trickling out. Adelaide have re-signed Emily Hodgson, Laura Johns, and Georgia Campagnoli. Canberra just keep on signing players. We've got Rachel Goldstein, Laura Keir, Hayley Taylor-Young. Great to see Nikki Flannery back in green as well. And Bianca Galich has, uh, has signed for Canberra. Angela, it must be nice to see Nikki Flannery join the likes of Grace Ma and we hope, aim and watch, back in green this season. Yeah, I, I watched the little presser that she did with Bianca and she seems like pretty stoked about it. And yeah, I remember my, I think I actually had to mark Nikki Flannery when I played football in Canberra once. My dad was like telling me about it. He was like, she was much younger than you and she only put like five past you. So you did a pretty good job. <laughs> um Great to see Nikki back um, and I think in the right environment, I think that she's really going to thrive. Elsewhere in the league, uh, Tegan Colster has made the switch to Western Sydney. Pretty handy pick up there. Rosie Galea signs on and when you Sarah Willisie, um, the goalkeeper who got the call up to the Matildas, had left Adelaide, she has also signed at the Wanderers. And a little bit of sneaky, uh, unofficial signings based on kit releases and the accompanying photo ops it looks like Leah Privatelli and Melina Ayres will both be back in navy blue this season so it's interesting to see which clubs have announced signings and which haven't we think we're going to get a bit more certainty around the W League probably come the end of this week maybe early next week Sam yeah that's what I'm hearing uh late this week I think there's going to be some sort of announcement around start dates um and possibly the number of rounds that we're expected to see for the the 2020-21 season, uh, which is great. And I think that it's it's a good sign that uh, the wheels are starting to finally turn in the background. Um, A lot of the delay has been in and around border closures uh, and the possibility of Mm. quarantine because FFA can't afford to host a hub uh, for the W League. And so, uh, like, players are going to need to travel between states as they did last season. Um, and so how to navigate that without having to force them into two-week quarantines all the time, it's been a whole thing. Um, on top of the fact that they're, nego- they're renegotiating their CBA as well, so that's been a whole issue. Um, but, yeah, we should be finding out a little bit more towards the end of this week, early next week. 
And one of the, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, Harry, it's interesting to see what clubs have and haven't announced signings. I mean, I'm really interested to see what Melbourne City do this season because they have lost basically everyone. Um, so I'm very curious to see whether they raid the team, the players from other teams or whether they really lean into their state products. Very interesting times ahead. And speaking of interesting times in the W League, we've got an absolute ripper question here um, from Taryn who wrote in to say, everyone's focused on youth emerging into the W League next season, but what about established NPL players who've never previously gotten a chance? There's surely so much talent out there. It doesn't just have to be youth. I think it's a great question because we look so much at players um, in women's football coming through as teenagers, making youth rep squads, playing W League very early making young Matilda squads, maybe even making the Matildas early. But you look at other sports and you look at the men's game and you look around the world and you go, there's got to be some gems out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm biased. I, I primarily focus on the New South Wales competition because that's where I live. Um, and also it's the competition that has the most W League players in it at the moment. You know, it's it's far and away the strongest MPL uh, women's competition, I think, in the country at the moment. And you know, Taryn's right. There are so many established MPL players who are older than, you know, 23, who have always sort of needed to have this opportunity to step up, I think, because so many of them have never been able to test themselves there. They, all these spots have already been occupied by Matildas, by foreign players, by whatever. And so they've never actually seen what they're capable of. So this is something that I, I think that I'm most excited about is that we're actually going to see what the MPL uh, can really produce and what it has been producing over the last couple of years. Now, we've got a couple of veterans in W League who have been around for a long time, but they're also really young, um, you know, because we the W League has always been a development league. I you know we talk about how anxious we are about it becoming one, but it is one. It's always been one. Um, so youth has always been at its foundation, but it's, you know, these youth players have always been complemented by much more experienced players as well and a lot of players who... Um, have either dipped their toe into the Matildas or have emerged off the back of their Matildas careers and have hung around and decided to continue playing, which is great as well. It, it provides so much more experience for these younger players coming through. And I feel like now, because we have all of these more experienced Matildas players playing overseas, there are so many more opportunities for these established players who are in their mid to late 20s uh, able to step up and perhaps prove themselves. And we saw that happen with a couple of players last season. One of my favourite stories from last season was the emergence of Jessie Rashard for Canberra United. You know, she she's a mother. She was sort of in, I think she's in her late 20s, early 30s. And this was her first season in the W League and she absolutely killed it. She stepped up from the MPL and she proved that she could. And so I think that that's a really good model and hopefully it's something that we're going to continue to see this season. There is that potential whether you see clubs raid the different leagues, but potentially if there are still some issues around quarantine or clubs not people not necessarily wanting to leave their home state, you could see clubs actually turn to their local leagues more and go, well, we know these players have exposed form. This is the talent. This is what we can use. And it is an opportunity to just go, who's playing well? Who wants to actually step up and you know, take on this opportunity because we have to remember that they are effectively still part-time athletes. So a lot of these players that haven't maybe come into the spotlight before, it's because they've got a job or they've got study or, you know, they maybe don't look at themselves as full-time pro footballers. I think we all know someone who we've played with or against that clearly could have played at a much higher level, but for their own reasons didn't. But it is, it's an exciting possibility because at the end of the day, if we look at the W League as a development 
league, if that's where it's going to end up, we still want to see the the next, not only the next group of players coming through having that talent, but we want to see a good quality around them. And the best players in the MPLW, the various MPLWs, if they're then coming into the W League, they're lifting the bottom level of that league. And as we know, good leagues aren't just about the best players at the top. They're about what your average player is like, what your squad players are like, because the better your squad level gets from the bottom up, the better the whole league gets. I I think also, like you said, Anna, we know a lot of people who, or a lot of stories of people who just like made the decision early on to not perhaps commit to that path because as a woman's footballer, there's a lot of sacrifices um, and a lot of the time there's not guaranteed payoff um, at the end of that, that all the things that you're doing to juggle multiple aspects of your life and being semi-professional is going to be worth it in the end. I think also just making sure that the infrastructure is there to support um, these players. And also for me, I think there's players who've dropped out of W League mm. or have been fringe W League players and have made that decision to take a step back because, yeah, there haven't been the opportunities available for them to be like, I can really go at this and, you know, do it properly and it's going to be worth my time. Um, so I think that's really exciting. And the more professionalised the league can get, the better it will be at supporting those sorts of players. Um, a couple of seasons ago, we saw... Kylie Ledbrook make a return Mm. to Sydney um, and she was able to do so with the improvements in conditions for players and the um, improved pay as well. So I suppose on the one hand you've got the sort of side of things where these players are coming at it as juggling different aspects of their lives and not necessarily being full-time players so fitting the W League in amongst that might be harder but at the same time we we can make it an easier situation and a more equitable situation for players to aspire to W League. We've looked at all different facets of Taran's question. I think you're going to have players that have never been on the radar and I think you might have some players that you look back and go I remember that name from somewhere and then they've come back on it again. So it could be a really, really interesting and exciting W League season. Well, it's been a big episode for me stepping in to Marissa's golden boots, which means it's time for what you've been waiting for. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. <laughs> it's time for the boot. And Sam, this is a boot that we can all relate to. Conti Cup during the week. You love to see the Conti Cup, except. Except when you can't fucking see it. Oh my god! Okay, so to some, I mean, everybody listening to this podcast would have seen or not seen. I mean, this is going to be the pun that's going to continue for the rest of this segment. Like, okay, so Conti Cup games, none of them were broadcast live. They were filmed and they were uploaded to the FA Player post uh, post competition. So we've been able to watch the games in the last twenty four hours, but they weren't broadcast live. And on top of that, when journalists at the grounds realised that games weren't being broadcast live, some of them tried to get a couple of little videos, 15 seconds, put it on Twitter. Uh, Susie Rack at The Guardian took a, a really great video of Elida Kennedy's free kick, um, but they were all asked to take them down. The FA asked all the journalists to delete all the, the, uh, the video and all the photos from the game. So... You know, when we talk about the need to grow women's football, media coverage and exposure is central to this. The Conti Cup, particularly some of the games that we saw this weekend, Chelsea Arsenal, 
Man City, Everton, these are big games. They were exciting games. Even West Ham, Brighton, these were fantastic games. They were such fantastic examples of how good women's football can be. But no one fucking was able to watch them. And it's not because, like, I don't even know why. I don't even know what the excuse was. Maybe it was an issue to do with the, the broadcast equipment that was there. Like some of the games that we've watched post, like after the fact, have were pretty shit. Like they just had a single camera that was filming from a central location. But we've seen in the W League that that's enough to broadcast live sometimes. Fox Sports carried all of the games last season, including ones that were at state league grounds, which were filmed with a single camera. It can be done. And it matters. This stuff matters. You know, if we only have access to the FAWSL, particularly for Australian uh, audiences, we can only watch it by paying for Optus Sport, really, or downloading a VPN and watching the games illegally through the FA Player, which which all of us have done, right? If you're a long-term women's sport fan, you have searched, like I have, very dodgy websites trying to find a link. You've clicked tons of ads that have popped up. You've probably downloaded a virus onto your computer because that's the only way you're able to access this sort of stuff, right? Now we have all the the infrastructure, we have the capability to broadcast games and it's all down to the fact that people decide not to. And this has knock-on effects. It means that people don't give a shit. They continue to not give a shit by not being able to see the kind of quality that these these competitions can throw up at us. So it's so frustrating that the FA stepped in as well and asked journalists to take down video. They're doing their jobs. They are promoting the game. Women's football journalists aren't in this industry for the money. They're not in it for the exposure. They're in it because they want to help. They want to help grow the game. And by doing this to them, it sends such a clear signal that you're on two different pages and you want two different things, that you're priorities are with broadcasters and with broadcast money and deals and not actually with the game and the good of the game and the growth of the game which is where it should be so this is this was my i'm sorry for rambling but it's fucking frustrating honestly seeing this sort of shit happen especially these days with the kind of rap that english women's football has been getting lately that you would make this decision if you don't broadcast these kinds of competitions you should cede responsibility for it and it should be free like if you don't have the if you decide not to do it it, it should be made available to everybody or you can pass it on to someone else who can do it properly. But, you know, just pull your head out of your asses. This stuff matters. Be better. And that is one massive boot from Sam. I agree completely, Sam. It reminds me of um, a few years back where Sam Kerr scored a hat-trick against Newcastle, but the only way you would have seen it at the time is if you were hanging around for that curtain-closer game, I believe, after the A-League. It's something that I think we thought we'd left behind. And especially when we know that there's broadcast vision available because the clubs later on put up the respective highlights and the Matildas were able to post it, you go, why? Like people clearly want to see this stuff. And as we say, England has got a huge boost to its ego as a women's football country in this past year. Lots of good players going there, everyone tuning in, everyone saying, this is the league we want to follow. These are the competitions we want to follow. England, home of football. Yes. You can't be calling yourself like the big deal of women's football if you you're not showing the games. These are compelling contests. Like All we're asking for is to be able to watch the best players go about it. It's great to hear that Caitlin Ford's caught a long-range banger. We want to see it. <laughs> I think we're at a position now where we're so used to be able, being able to get you know all sport and a fair bit of women's sport on demand. And to know that there is film there, it's being filmed, there's a potential to broadcast, but it's just the decision not to. I think that's what's really frustrating for everyone. Because let's be honest, 
it's not good enough. And people want to watch games live. Like live sport is exciting and engaging. And I know like for myself, I make an effort of watching games live because you're in the moment, you're watching it play out in front of you. And I mean, it's live sport. Give us live sport. That's what we want. (laughs) Not recorded games. Even though recorded games are great for convenience, that shouldn't be the only thing that's on offer. Yeah. It's not just that live sport is a completely different kind of creature because it's happening as we are living in the moment, but we're engaging with live sport with other people. We're in that as a community. We're experiencing the ups and downs of it together. And that's what like now more than anything is what we need. We need more of that. We need more communal feeling. We need more live sport to be able to bring people together because fuck, like we've been having this conversation ever since shutdown. What is the point of sport? We've been having, especially when it comes to sport being played behind closed doors, players have been coming out and saying, what's the point of playing if there are no fans? What is the point of this if you don't have a community? What's the point of football if you can't bring it to people and bring people together because of it? Like it's, it's just like the decision not to broadcast just seems to go completely against every single principle that is folded into the, the whole concept of the women's game. And I know we touched so much on the big matchups that were happening, the big teams that were playing. But when you look at things like the Conti Cup, that's an opportunity for some smaller teams. And uh, it's not a dig at your Liverpool, Sam, who are in the second division. But that was a huge result for them, beating Manchester United 3-1. They're really, in a different yeah. league. Liverpool have absolutely and deservedly copped it for not doing the right thing by their women's team in the past few years. It's resulted in relegation and it looks like they are, you know, trying to get their way back into the top division. But how are people meant to care that they've beaten one of the clubs, you know, in members football, their biggest traditional biggest rivals in a cup if no one can see it? How are you meant to get people engaged in, um, you know, games involving your London Bees and, you know, Lose, for example, Crystal Palace are involved. There's so many, you know, clubs that are in second division or who are involved in this league and chances are, like, those are the only opportunities that a lot of people are going to get to see those clubs play on the broadcast. So if you're not actually showing those games, then you're denying the fans or the potential fans of those clubs that opportunity too. So... I think just think everybody loses from not showing these games or at least having the option to. It's a bit of a triple boot from us. I think Marissa would be proud. <laughs> Angela, I believe you. it's time for you to take the floor. You have got a big boot ready to go. Uh, yeah, um, quite a substantial and um, serious boot this week uh, and content warning discussion of sexual assault um my boot this week cristiano ronaldo's continued and largely unquestioned presence in a lot of footballing spaces for those who might not know and i know that there are a lot of people who follow football that don't know um cristiano ronaldo has allegations of sexual assault being placed against him it's um the original situation happened in 2009 and then the survivor she came forward in 2018 um under you know the me too movement and found the courage to yeah take it further and go public with what happened in 2009 um i'm not going to go into the you know the details of it the thing with this is there is a lot of information out there that people can access um but it just hasn't been the media moment that you would expect. Um, 
And I would definitely recommend checking out episode 74 and 75 of Burn It All Down um, because, yeah, they go into sort of the the details of the case um, and they do really informed and passionate work about this sort of thing of sport and gender and, and justice and all sorts of things. But anyway, but my eye, the reason why I'm angry about it this week is for, for two reasons. First of all, um, Nike are promoting their new Mercurial boot and Ronaldo is like the face of it or is one of the faces of it. And as part of that, there's been like partnerships where other Nike athletes, including women's athletes, have been promoting the boot and promoting his name. And so that's been on social media. Um, And first of all, when I was like sort of (laughs) brewing away um, and sort of simmering, a lot of my anger was directed towards Nike as one of the big stakeholders who have been really inactive in this space when the allegations went public in October of 2018, they released a statement at the time, and I think EA Games as well, who have a partnership and, you know, give money to Ronaldo also said something along similar lines of being deeply concerned about the allegations and they were keeping an eye on it. And for, again, for context, the most recent update in terms of the legal side of things, so this isn't resolved, it's an ongoing thing was last week. So the Guardian released an article about it. And so it's just been sort of pushed to the side and I try and avoid his presence basically, but it's really, really hard because he's one of the biggest footballing names in the world. And last, like this weekend when I was watching Optus Sports, um, their halftime highlights package is just like a highlights reel. One of the things they play is a highlights reel of him. And so I think that speaks to the, how big of an issue this is and and how many people have been sort of quiet they don't want to stick their necks out no one's like sticking their necks out here so that means that no one has to no one else has to take any accountability and it's such a big issue Uh, I sort of expect more from big stakeholders like Nike um, especially when they have a front-facing brand that touches on social justice issues Um, it feels like they haven't even really hit pause at any point, it was just like sort of, oh, we're keeping an eye on it, but it was business as usual. Anyway, I've been holding it in <laughs> for these past couple of days and forgive for squares, but big fuck off boot to that this week. It's a too serious, um, but I think important discussions on the boot this week. Um, we often use it as a pretty flippant uh <laughs> tool I guess on this podcast but I think it's important for us as a, as a podcast to to discuss the things that we care about that we're passionate about and that we think our audience cares about too so we will look to change tack now um, and we will as always finish the podcast with a th- few of the things we love this week a few of the how goods and I think we've got to kick off with the how good that you can see front and center on whatever device you're listening on right now. Our new graphic. How good. Woo-hoo! Shout out to producer extraordinaire Matt Coleman. You might know him from the boot noise or from <laughs> various TV productions. Depends which is more high profile in your books. But uh, Matt's done a fantastic <laughs> job of uh, doing up our humble graphic to include us four plus Melon. Plus, if you look at the text, it's actually an homage to the original Farpost newsletter, um, which if you go back to our last episode, Sam discussed with that founder, Heather Reid. Um, so we love that it's got a bit of history. It's got our massive mugs on it. It's got melon. It keeps the <laughs> colours that we love. It's got everything. Matt Coleman. Matt Coleman. How good. 
How good. And speaking of how good, Sam, do you want to take this one or do we want Angela to take this one? I'm going to take it. Okay, so <laughs> so early podcast listeners will know that Angela's dad is a bit of a legend. And in the last couple of days, he has been in regular correspondence with Angela about potentially designing us some merch, some T-shirts specifically. So Angela's dad has offered to make us some far post uh, T-shirts, which is just an amazing idea. And as soon as Angela told me that he was interested in doing that, just for Angela, I don't think he even wanted to, to do it for us. It was just for Definitely her and for not. him. I was like, Angela, can your dad please be my dad? Uh, and can we please get a far post T-shirt that has the new logo on the pocket? That's all I want in my life. If I get that, I can die happy. So Angela's dad, how good. What was the reaction? What did your dad <laughs> What did your dad have to say? Yeah, so I, I, I sent through that um, there were some requests and he just said, you know, send through everyone's sizes. Not he, Podders, send through all the Podders shirt sizes and I'll do some mock-ups and he's going to have to have a play around, I think. he's um, For my birthday, I just for context, I got a lot of um, homemade top merchandise. So Top's my short-haired border collie. Um, so I got like a themed West Ham shirt, but it's got Top's face on it. I got match day undies. <laughs> I don't know if that's too much information, <laughs> but they're like claret and blue, little Top like top popper anyway so um and yeah clearly got a lot of time on his hands but we we love it and we appreciate it and we're very excited for our t-shirts once I get those shirt sizes to you so Angela eventually getting the shirt sizes to her dad how good I'd love to wrap up with one last we mentioned Alex Morgan earlier she's not got on the pitch for Tottenham but she's already making an impression she's got baby Charlie over there um with her in London and uh she posted to Instagram just saying Charlie's first Barbie would be mum and it is a Barbie. It's an Alex Morgan Barbie. How good. Well, guys, we've not had Marissa, but we've had some highs. We've had some lows. We've had plenty of chat. I reckon that just about covers it off. Um, Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Please make sure you subscribe. You can catch us on all your various uh, podcast listening apps. Um, We hope you've enjoyed and we're looking forward to catching you next week So on that note, see us. See ya. See ya.